fish on. Hey, Radcast is on. Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. From the Porter's 10Cast Studio, here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Hello and welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. We're in the Porter's 10Cast Studio and I'm joined today with Patrick Edwards. Uh, say hello, Patrick. How's everybody doing out there? It's good to be here. Oh, I'm ecstatic to be here. Do you know what we're talking about today, Patrick? What are we talking about? Well, first we're going to talk about, you know, if you haven't found and got on and seen the promo code for 10% off at High Mountain Seasonings, you need to get on there because I just did some more uh, cow elk jerky with their, uh, just their standard old original jerky seasoning. Super simple. Cut strips, you know, try to get it uniform. They have a jerky cutting board if you want that uniform thickness. I just throw it in the freezer and get a sharp knife and start whacking it up, season it, you know, you, you're basically season it and brine it for 24 hours, and then you can put it on the smoker, put it in the oven. I put mine on the barbecue with a few chips down in there. You know, you got to babysit it, make sure you don't overcook it, but that whole muscle meat jerky with the high mountain seasoning, it's very simple DIY product. Yep, and if you're at my house, we like to throw it in the grinder which is a little bit different and makes sticks out of it. Um, snack sticks are amazing. Uh, one of the things I would highly recommend is go out there, get some, try a packet, see what you think. Um, my kids absolutely gobble it up. So, What is that promo code? I believe it's HMS10. Is that right? That's it. Get on their website and 10% off your entire order. That's right. And they make really good gifts if you have the outdoorsman in your family. doesn't matter whether they hunt or fish. They've got products for both. So make sure you guys go check them out. So this morning, let's talk about something that's kind of uh, near and dear to both of us. But some of the people we've met or books we've read um, on the outdoors. And so I know you brought a couple of books with you. But we can start before that. I can remember in middle school in the library checking out Call of the Wild Jack London, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was probably the epiphany, the moment that I decided that, you know, I need to be in Alaska. I was six, seven years old in third grade reading that book about this guy and and then White Fang and Call of the Wild. And if you haven't read those books or your kids haven't read those books yet, I don't know if you're living under a rock, but you need to go get those books and read them. (laughs) If you have kids, also Gary Paulson has a bunch of good books like Hatchet and Brian Song and some of those. Those are incredible books for a young kid, especially if they're, you know, between eight and 12 years old. Those books are amazing. But the books that really still garner my attention today and, and the writer that will live in infamy is Mr. Patrick McManus. Yeah, Patrick McManus being one of the best if not the best, and arguably yeah. <laughs> in outdoor writing, but also with that spin of humor. Um, he had it down um, on the humor. One, one of my favorite stories was uh, one where he talks about the dumbest antelope, and he talks about how he shoots, the, shoots at this antelope that's way out there. He misses. It kicks up dirt next to him. It comes running at him, and he says, yes, and then I fired a shot across his bow, you know, and tried to scare him <laughs> off, and he ran away, and he's like, and Jim Zumbo is like, wow, not only was that the dumbest antelope, but that was the worst shot in history. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, didn't get the pleasure to meet him, but I, I met him through his writing for sure. 
And, you know, they shoot canoes, don't they, is one that, if you haven't read that one yet, is, mm-hmm. is great. But the one that sticks out in my memory, I've, I've read them all at least once or twice, but The Night the Bear Ate Goomba mm-hmm. is... <laughs> and that's where that antelope story comes from, is early on in that book. That's such a good, good book. If you need a laugh or you just need to... to <laughs> and, and another one in his writing is he talks about tying things onto his uh, SUV to go camping for the weekend. And he says, inevitably, you're always going to be six inches short on that piece of rope. <laughs> and he says, if you can't tie knots, tie lots. Just pe- keep putting another <laughs> granny knot on there. And the thing about him that made him so great was that a lot of the stories, everyone could relate to it at some level because it's like, yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. He talks about in that book that you just referenced, he he talks about sequencing where, you know, the farm work doesn't get done because, you know, you got all these different things to do. So he said, it's just better to just go fishing. Just forget about the farm work, just go fishing. Uh, Because there's inevitably another thing that'll come up and another thing. And you and I both know that living out of town, that when you intend to do a project, it turns into 10 projects. Oh, and then and then you interject uh, Mr. Crazy Eddie Muldoon showing up, right? We all have a Crazy Eddie Muldoon <laughs> in our lives, the, the crazier kid that lives next door that comes up with these harebrained schemes of mm-hmm. how to get someone hurt. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, all of his stuff is just so good. Um, and if you're a parent out there and you want to read something to your kids and have belly laugh while you're reading. Yes. This is a good one to do. Like any of his books are just amazing. I really wish I could have met him. Um, I heard him speak once, but he's just hilarious. I mean, the guy has some incredible stories. And of course, with that just kind of satire, you know, it just makes it so good. And so we went from, you know, Jack London and, and more of a theatrical story to mm-hmm. a much more humorous writer and little more short stories or, or clips into McManus. But then I transferred into, you know, following Jack O'Connor and his hunts. And then I found a book by uh, Teddy Roosevelt called African Game Trials. Mm-hmm. And it's a basically kind of just journal documentary. He took his son Kermit in right after his presidency in the 1800s. And for the Smithsonian's Institute, they wanted mounts and trophies and mm-hmm. specimens. And he took 18 months with his son and they did one of the last, you know, portered hunts, 200 porters, people carrying his gear across the dark continent. And that was, you know, pr- this was pre-railroad when they were doing this. He, he got done with presidency. I'm sure he was a little bit stressed and tired and said, where can I go to disappear? And I mean, I can't imagine going on an 18 month safari. No, but man, that would be fun. I I've always dreamed about doing that with fishing where you, you go and you just hop from place to place to place, catching different species. It's the same thing for a hunter. You know, it's like, Ooh, I can go kill this and I can go kill this, and go do this, you know, and get that experience. I would have loved to have been just, uh, you know, someone along for the ride. So after that, oh, it's about 10 years later, his son Kermit and him went to the Amazon. I mean, before it was really scouted, and they went up river in the Amazon, and he got so sick, he told his son, just leave me here to die. And I mean, his son had to put him in the boat and paddle him for weeks and weeks to, you know, now we have these nice little personal locator beacons and sat phones mm-hmm. and, you know, helicopters. Can you imagine? No. No, and the Amazon is one of those crazy, dangerous places that I wouldn't want to be sick in personally. And I, I mean, back then, 
it was a lot easier to get sick just because you didn't have, you know, the different vaccines and different things and the water purification. Oh man. Water will get you every time in the Amazon, but you talk about a a great place to go if you want to go fishing or hunting. I mean, there's so many different things that you can do down in the Amazon. It's still relatively kind of undiscovered, unexplored, or at least underrated for sure. Right. Yeah. Especially for angling. I mean, you you can go way up in there, and you can fish for arapaima. I know Stephen Ranella has a has a TV show where he's mm-hmm. done arapaima tour three times now, and goes into the village and documents how you know Western society has definitely influenced those people. But he's still when you it comes through very clearly that he he is remote and out there. Oh yeah, there there's no doubt about it, and there's some of these places where. The water gets low enough, you got to carry your canoe 30, 40 yards up the side so that you can get onto the next piece of the river just because there's su- such a big drop or whatever. So it's not exactly easy. Um, I, I have some friends, we've talked about it. You know, maybe one of these days we go down there and we go explore the Amazon, but it is one of those places where if something bad happens, you're, you're, in, you're in trouble because you're way in there. But those kind of stories are just amazing. I go back to my childhood, one of my favorite things. I had two magazines that I loved to read as a kid. One was Outdoor Life, and the other was In Fisherman. And so whether it would be, you know, Jim Zumbo's stories or Doug Stange, Al Linder, any of those guys, I just love reading about the outdoors. Um, And then, of course, you know, Patrick McManus and Gary Paulson, different authors as I grew up. But Really, those magazines were kind of what got me started because they had such good short stories that they made you want to read more. And see, mine was Outdoor Life and Field and Stream. And when those came in the mail every month, the very first thing I did was open to the back page yep. and got that story, that article of that funny story, whoever it was, right? And mm-hmm. those those are still just a gold mine of, if you want just some entertainment, that's better than a movie. Oh, yeah. And it's good, clean fun, right? <laughs> you hear all yeah. these stories of the backcountry hunt or the backcountry, you know, fishing trip that goes awry because something happens. You know, it's there, always a kick in the pants. There's definitely a lot of uh, humor in misery. <laughs> yeah. After the fact. Yeah, after the fact. During during that, you're like, oh, okay, this really, really sucks. I'm I, sure, almost, I'm I almost sure died. Knows. You know, that's a little yeah. scary. But now, hey, let's do it again. Yeah. I was thinking about that the other day. Some friends of mine in high school, we went and we we're like, oh, we can climb up to this place and we can go do this and that. And we kind of got ourselves rim rocked a little bit where we got to a spot where we could get to, but getting down was very precarious and a little bit dicey. And we, we made it out, but it was, it was not a fun experience during that time, but it makes for a good story later. So I have a picture and I'll try and post it up on our, our page of a doll sheep hunt and we were trying to go out this spiny ridge, and we uh, got to a pace, place where the sheep were going left, kind of off the cliff face, and it was only maybe, you know, 30 meters, 40 yards, somewhere in there, right? Wasn't very far, but standing on the ridge looking at that, it was, it was a, you know, 70, 80-degree slope, and then it just disappeared to a 100-degree slope, just gone. And it was only, it was 200 feet, 300 feet below us, so on the way let's say north, I said, not, nah, we're going to go right instead of going left where the sheep are going. And we ended up on this boulder field that every boulder was, you know, the size of a car hood and they were shifting shale and big. And it took us, you know, around that side, you had to do three, 400 yards. It took almost an hour because of the 
height elevation. You, they were roundish, shaly boulders that were just precariously tossed about. We got out a couple miles out, got uh, weathered and fogged out, and decided to go back to base camp. Well, we come up that spiny ridge, and it was either three, 400 yards drop in elevation and back through that boulder field, or let's just go across the, the shaley trail where the sheep are going that's, you know, no elevation gain, and it's 40 yards, right? Well, I can remember getting halfway across there, and, it you know, there was a little bit of a gully that was maybe two steps wide, but I was kicking toe holds in. My dad was behind me, and we've got our big sheep hunting packs on, right? So I'm now facing the rock wall. Both hands are holding the rock wall, and little rocks are pulling out every time you grab it. And I'm trying to kick in footholds in the loose shale and you've got a big wide you know six foot step to get from kind of one side of the rock wall to the next side where we're going across the chute and i can remember getting across it and kicking some footholds in and about 10 feet of the hole everything around me slid about a foot or so and i it just it was one of those if i had started to slide i wouldn't be here telling you about it but it's one of those positions i can't go back now and I can go nope. forward, but I got to get my dad through there. And he's in, you know, I'm breaking trail, at least making footholds. Mm-hmm. So he's in my footholds. But that was, that was one of those, you know, when I, when I kind of jumped across that one little half step and everything for 10 feet around you shifted just, just a couple inches. But it was, it was enough to really make me lose my breath. That's what they call it. Pucker factor of 10 right there. <laughs> You're like, yes. oh boy, if this goes, we're in trouble. So the next time that we went, wanted to go back out there about two days later, what we ended up doing was just dropping about 500 yards short of that. We had to drop all the way down to the creek, which is about an 800 yard, you know, and lose a, lose a lot of elevation. But I didn't have to go around that spot. Yeah. Anytime you can avoid those spots, that's a good thing. But you know, there was a time we, when I was growing up, uh, we had this high school trip and we had some kids come out to Wyoming, you know, big deal for them, but came from North Dakota and they wanted to go up and summit Medicine Bow Peak, um, with a group, group of guys, you know, so we had this group, we went up and we camped and they, they all wanted to go to the top and it all sounded good, but they had just got to Wyoming. And so they went from next to no elevation to really high elevation. And we started to, you know, ascend this mountain and people start dropping like flies from altitude sickness. And it's one of those things where you get up there and you're just like, "Uh Oh, this isn't good. I mean, they were really sick. So we ended up having to haul people back down and hauling, you know, climbing up with people is fine. Climbing down, not so much fun. There were, you know, you talked about things sliding and things being loose and, you know, we were up above timberline and, trying to figure out how to get everybody down without dying was kind of interesting, you know, you know or at we're least at, getting hurt. We're at 5,500 feet, right? Uh-huh. And even I'm acclimated to it. I live here, and I, I love to go chase those elk. But sometimes early season, those elk are right on top at 10, 5, or 11. And there is a huge difference just from the 85 to 95. You know, I can I can hike that and because I'm acclimated. Now, people come from sea level, that's, that's a – that can be dangerous. We've had people that have got the altitude sickness, not gone down to lower elevation, not gotten some medical attention, and, and I mean, they, you can die from it. Mm-hmm. But even me going from the 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 eights and nines up to the high tens or low elevens, you can. It's like somebody took all the air. I'm like, give me. I need. I need a bag. Bring a bag of air with me from down lower. 
it's a lot harder than people think to change elevations like that. And it makes for good stories, like you say, but man, I'm just glad everybody was safe because during, during the process of getting people down, it was very stressful and whatnot. And that night, once we had everybody down and everybody was kind of feeling better, you know, everybody's joking about it, you know, how, you know, Patrick threw this guy on his shoulder and was going down the hill or whatever, you know, and, but it's just part of the fun of being in the outdoors and you don't make those stories unless you go. And that's, that's one of the biggest things that you and I've talked about is getting people out there so they can go. And that's, I mean, probably where some of these, uh, fame come from for all these writers that I'm, I'm not that, that articulate of a writer to where I could memorize all or memorialize all these trips and adventures and not at least not with the humor that McManus has no I mean (laughs) it takes a special guy to write like that I mean just the way he is with words is just incredible to me because I'm I'm not a writer either I I don't mind talking but actually writing um, he has an art to how he puts things together um, another guy that I think about, and I was actually thinking of this story the other day, is Kurt Gowdy. And I met Kurt Gowdy when I was a little kid. Um, I went to the Outdoor Heritage Expo for Wyoming. You know, they have this big outdoor show in, in Casper. And at the time, um, I was able to go to the banquet um, with my dad. He worked for the Game and Fish and was one of the guys working it. And so I went to this banquet, and I got to meet Kurt Gowdy. And, I mean that was a guy I watched on TV shows who was another guy who was just hilarious. Um, but watched him on TV shows, read articles by him. I knew him really well. And I remember being this terrified kid. I'm at this table about 10 feet away and I'm like, dad, I want to go, I want to go say hi to Mr. Gowdy. And my dad's like, yeah, that's fine. So he's sitting there with the governor of Wyoming and all these other people. And I'm just this kid and I walk up with my little program and I'm like, hi, Mr. Gowdy, would you please sign this for me? And I was just scared to death. And he was the coolest guy. He So he has all these important people, I guess you could say, at his table. He turns his chair around, puts his back to the table, and visits with me for a good 10 minutes. And that meant the world to me, um, that he would take the time to visit with me. Just a great guy. But um, here we are years yeah. later. You haven't forgotten. And I can remember oh, no. Zumbo at the Portland Expo. You know, I, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, and I wasn't born there, but we... We moved there shortly after, and we would go. Portland has that expo, and I was like, "Dad, I want to go every." At that that was that was the epitome of. I mean, that was Christmas for me. Let's go check <laughs> out all these products. Oh yeah, yeah. So I remember he gave a seminar on elk, and I can't remember if it was calling or hunting or talking or tactics. But you know, I sat in the seminar, and then afterwards, I, I mean, I'm a, a kid, and I went up and I'm like, "Zumbo, will you sign?" And I just because I when I'm reading, you know field and stream or outdoor life here's this guy writing an article about some mm-hmm. i know who he is i've seen him on tv hunting elk and you know that's what i aspired to be and here he is flesh and blood I, so i've been there and i know how that can you know and i i'm remiss of a few other outdoor personas you know people and there's some that are are kind of callous towards their uh following right they're they're their, their head gets a little bigger than their britches sometimes, but I've seen a couple that, you know, their publicist or their PR guys tugging on their shirt and they're supposed to be somewhere else. And there's a line of two or three more people, and especially there's a line of some more kids. And they kind of tell the publicist, yeah, we'll, we'll get there when we'll get there. I'm going to, you know, make sure I shake hands, take photos with, with these people that have waited in line to meet me. Yep. And I think that's what sets some of these guys apart 
and makes them truly legends because people people feel that you know when you, when you have that person take just a minute just a minute you know <laughs> when you think about it in the grand scheme of your life it's not very long but it can mean the world to a kid i i know kurt gowdy doing that for me was big and i'll never forget this it, it during his presentation, you know, he was talking about kids and he pointed me out, you know, which kind of made me feel kind of embarrassed, but it was cool. You know, he's like telling a story about how to get kids more involved and how he got his kids involved. And he had some clips that he showed from his TV show, just showing different funny moments or different things that happened. I remember one was Terry Bradshaw, you know, from the Steelers, you know, he took him tarpon fishing and he gets pulled into the water, with the tarpon, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Uh, but he just had some cool stuff. And I remember him talking about kids and his passion to get kids out there and to see the next generation, pick it up. You know, he was a, an influential person in my life just because of that one event, that one night and he took some time to, to make me feel special. And that, that makes me feel good that, that our sport, our hobby, our passion has a future. You know, we, we see a lot of negative press these days, and we see a lot of people really attacking either individuals or the whole sport itself, whether it's running running with dogs or running chaps or, you know, hunting with any specific predator species. You know, it's so controversial. But, you know, we see some of these locavores. I love that that terminology of people coming into the sport, new eyeballs coming in. You know, you've got just here in the last little bit, Renella got Joe Rogan to come in. I've seen Jocko Willing coming in. You know, these people are coming in, coming to the sport, and people want to belong. And then when they find this, you know, ancient tribal passion that we have of, of being hunters and gatherers and collecting and knowing where your protein's coming from, it, you and I get it because – from day one, it was like, no, we're eating the fish we caught today, and we're going to go fishing next week, and mm -hmm. oh, dad gets a deer in the fall, and that's just what we do, right? I mean, as far as, you know, some of us were raising steers on the ranch, and come harvest time, we put the steer down, and it, there's really not a difference between that beef protein that's in the store on the, in the cell phone pack when, when you slaughter a beef on your ranch or slaughter a pig on your ranch, you know, the, the line gets very blurry between that and a, a deer in the wild and a pheasant or a fish. It's like, no, it's all just protein. And we're going to go out and get walleye or salmon or turkey or pheasant, whatever it might be. But I, I just like to, it, it gives me a little bit of glimmer of hope that, you know, our sport can be passed on and sustain this onslaught of just negative PR all the time. And I think it's on us as parents and, um, you know, you've got little ones, I've got little ones where we need to get them exposed to it. Also the writings, you know, we talk about McManus, Zumbo, a bunch of these great names is that they have some great material that we can pass on to our kids and say, man, this really got me fired up growing up. Cause kids, kids like that stuff. They want to have an adventure. And nowadays with so much of it being screen time and, and kids not really getting their, you know, getting their boots on and <laughs> their pack and going out into the field, We've got to take advantage of this, and we've got to get them inspired, I think, in a couple of ways. One is the experiential part, so the hands-on fishing, hunting, hiking, climbing, all of that. Then secondly, you've got to get them involved in the literary part where their imagination can go wild, where they can think about the grizzly bears, you know, and some of the stories that I read growing up, you know, with Zumbo and different ones, or, you know, the incredible king salmon that some guy caught. I mean, those are the kind of things that spark the imagination so that when they take a trip, 
and they go to an Alaska or they go to, you know, even here at Boyson Reservoir, you know, whatever it may be, they get excited because they're like, man, I could catch a giant today or I could go hunting and I could kill a monster buck. Those are, those are the things that get them going. I want to caveat that with, I've seen, you know, the, the Uber, you know, successful dad that's like, Hey, we got to go out and kill the biggest white tail or catch the biggest trout or, you know, you you have to dial that back a little bit and have the guys weekend or have the gals weekend or have that, you know, two week hardcore mountain backpack, whatever, whatever your, your, your chocolate is, you know, you go out and have that trip. But then when you're bringing a newcomer in and just like we discussed with Jess Johnson, when you're bringing either taking, when I take my own kids or bringing a newcomer, you've got to be cognizant of the fact that they don't have the gear, they don't have the experience and they don't have the preparation that you and I do. So sometimes fishing down at down on the river with the kid turns into we pick some dandelions, we throw some rocks. <laughs> he got to help bait up. Yep. And you know, twenty minutes, thirty minutes in, we're bored, and it's if the wind picks up and it gets cold, as the as the mentor, you just have to say, okay, you know what, we've exposed a little bit today. And, and you've got to just dial the goal back. Instead of saying, hey, we're going to limit out on rainbow trout today, the biggest anybody's ever caught in the world, it may just be we got the lines wet and we threw a few rocks yeah. in the water. Yeah, and I remember growing up, I one of my best friends, Seth Ewing, he uh, he and I have been friends since we were little kids. Like five Crazy Eddie Meldoon? No, not quite. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but we we would go with his dad, and his dad was big into the outdoors. And I remember this one particular time. We went to Gray Rocks Reservoir, and the fishing wasn't that great. It was kind of stormy. It was kind of iffy to even be out there. But anyway, his dad's out there fishing. And so what were us kids doing? We weren't fishing, I can tell you that. Not, not in the fishing sense. But what we were doing, because there's so many big crawfish in that, particular reservoir we were turning over rocks and we were catching these giant crawfish and it made for a great time we had a blast i mean we didn't care if we caught any fish because we were catching crawfish but (laughs) my my buddy's brother levi he picks one up and it grabbed him back you know (laughs) and drew blood i mean it was one of those (laughs) deals where he's like that's got me you know kind of thing but those were really good memories of me you know as a kid being in the outdoors where i had zero success catching fish that we were after like smallmouth bass and stuff like that but we had so much fun catching crawfish and turning over rocks i mean i'll never forget that (laughs) it was a great time i can remember i my i do not remember his name you know we moved from uh, colorado when i was in i want to say second grade i was about eight nine but i was just old enough to uh the neighbor kid and i took our bicycles and we pedaled up to the uh, canal and it was right off the end of a reservoir, and we uh, we took worms on cane poles, right? Mm-hmm. I caught a sunfish, not a not a very big one, a perch, you know, sunfish. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, this was one of I'd been fishing with my dad probably in backpacks before I was way before I was out of diapers. So you know, I'd, I'd had some fishing experience and enjoyed it, but this was the first time I remember just going and, and procuring a fish myself and I was so proud of it and I had seen all these scientific magazines and, and museums and stuff where you, you put stuff in a glass jar with water and right mm-hmm. and it's so I <laughs> about a week later my mom found that perch Oof. in a mason jar floating in the water oh, man oh. <laughs> I bet that smelled really good I I don't I I don't remember the smell I bet it did but I was very distraught when I came home and my fish was gone 
Oh, man. That sounds kind of like the stink bombs we used to make with crawlers. You know how when you put a crawler into a plastic container and leave it in the sun for a little oh. while, it gets pretty smelly? I've I've <laughs> left one or two of those. You know, we, 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 I fly fish mostly, but occasionally there's nothing wrong with, with using some bait and actually catching a fish. Man. But if you forget and leave oh. that in your backpack or in your car. Brutal. Nothing worse than that. Brutal. We, we had this thing as a kid it was this crazy story but we we did that we intentionally made stink bombs with with night crawlers and boy i still i don't know that there's a worse smell if if you've let it bake in the sun for a good week with the lid closed it's it's probably one of the worst smells ever <laughs> I, I got another one for you there used to be this little meme back in middle school of uh it was fish heads fish heads ooey gooey fish heads I, I may or may not have put a few <laughs> rainbow trout heads oh. in a Ziploc bag and put it in that kid's locker Whew. over spring break while we were gone. Somebody got in trouble for that. It wasn't me, but <laughs> <laughs> I put, we're, we're past the statute of limitations, yeah, so, so we're good. Okay. Yeah, yeah we're fine. You're good. No, that's great. Um, I want to kind of wrap this episode up with just us kind of going through some of our favorite books. Again, we, we went through a few, but for me, if I was to pick – just two authors for your kids, especially Gary Paulson. Um, he's from Alaska. He's written a lot of great books. I would definitely recommend you start with hatchet. Um, hatchet is a really good story. It's an easy read. Um, so if you've got those eight to 10 year olds, it's, it's a perfect read for them and even older. Um, the story I still really enjoy. Um, and then of course, Patrick McManus, all of his books are just amazing. Um, same with Gary Paulson. So what would be your top picks, David? Well, Patrick makes a, he, he's number one, but I, I would say to to get kids into reading to start where I started was that that White Fang, that Jack London, also Alaska, oh, yeah. you know, and then you can move into the Call of the Wild. I mean, those those two books kind of opened this whole whole arena of what is out there in adventure, you know. And, and the other one that there's two more that I are not nearly as hunting related, and I you know it's uh it's Moby Dick. Mm-hmm. And it's Swiss Family Robinson. Oh yeah, both of those books were great adventures as a young kid to read. Oh yeah, definitely. And it and if you're looking for articles and some shorter stories, some of my favorites growing up were by Jim Zumbo. He had incredible hunting stories. If you want to get excited about hunting, he has a real art of getting people excited to go out and hunt. And of course, anything that Outlander put out as far as you know, fishing and Doug Stangy as well um, within Fisherman. Just incredible writers. They know their craft, and they can really get you excited about the outdoors. So, again, hope you guys will go out there and read them. Um, one more reminder, if you guys have any input on the uh, podcast and you want to reach out to us, we're at, at Radcast Outdoors on Facebook. We'd love for you to follow us. Please subscribe to our podcast because we can't do this without you. And we just really appreciate everybody listening. Make sure you go and give a High Mountain Seasoning some love. HMS 10 will get you 10% off of anything to season up your wild game you've produced. All right. Thanks, everybody.